0: Wake up. Freedom's on the rise.
1: They wish to make a lot of money. In Europe, every American student, even more every American adult, is regarded as someone who is just out to make a lot of money. Really, 16%, 16% of these students regarded their main goal and concern in life to make a lot of money. I'm quoting literally, make a lot of money. And you know what the top class, the top category, we say category, category, what do you say? Category was among, excuse me, but uh, I know I am speaking a marvelous accent without the slightest English. Now. You know, you know what the top category was, 78% of these American youngsters were concerned, as they expressed it themselves, with finding a meaning and purpose in their lives. So this is a realistic, a realistic view on man. And you know, You won't believe it, gray, uh, gray hair, my age, I started taking flying lessons recently. Do you know what my flying instructor told me? If you are starting here, wish to get here, say east, heading for this, and you have a crosswind, you will drift, and you will land here. So you have to do what the pilots call a crabbing, he told me, C-R-A-B, crabbing. You have to head for north of this uh, uh, airfield, air and you have to fly that way, you see? As if you headed in this direction. If you are heading here above this airfield, then you will actually land here. But if you head for here, you are landing here. This holds also for man, I would say. If we, if we take man as he really is, we make him worse. But if we overestimate him... It's premature your applause, you will soon know why. If we... If we seem to be idealists and are overestimating, overrating man, and looking at him that high, here above, you know what happens? We promote him to what he really can be. So we have to be idealists in a way, because then we we'll wind up as the true, the real realists. And you know who has said this? If we take man as he is, we make him worse, but if we take man as he should be, we make him capable of becoming what he can be. This was not my flight instructor, this was not me, this was Goethe. He said this verbally. And now you will understand why I in one of my writings once said, this is the most apt maxim and motto for any psychotherapeutic activity. So if you don't recognize a young man's will to meaning, man's search for meaning, you make him worse, you make him dull, you make him frustrated, you still add and contribute to his frustration. While if you presuppose in this man, even in this so-called criminal or juvenile delinquent or drug abuse and so forth, there must be a... what we call spark, yeah, a spark of search for meaning, let's recognize this, let's presuppose it, and then you will elicit it from him, and you will make him become what he in principle is capable of becoming.
0: Welcome back. To Freedom's Rising. Today is July 6th, 2022, and you are participating in the rise of freedom. We are freeing more minds with Freedom's Rising today here in the Freedom's Rising Studios at the TylerBloyer.com. Live streams, audio feeds. No, we're not. We're not doing it live. Again, we don't uh we don't want to also though spend all of our days looking at spinning wheels and trying to edit video and make a lot of production value in the podcast where we can put out the information trickling it out there over time slowly, as we've been doing here on the TylerBloyer.com dot com feeds for about seven years on and off. And I decided, after taking some time uh, the last year or so, to get back into the studio and get back into producing content. And, you know, as Frankel was talking about there, that was Victor Frankel. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a sec. As he was talking about there, was the search for meaning and the pursuit of happiness. That's actually a site you can find his work at is The Pursuit of Happiness. And uh, that book that he was most famous for was uh, The Search for Meaning, I think it was. Um, looking, just making sure I got the title right. Man's Search for Meaning, I believe. Yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, and we. I, I agree with... That assessment. I like that clip. I have that up on a on a website that I've published that a long time ago, back on the the old uh, life log Facebook there. So we'll make sure and put that in the notes. You can go check that clip out and learn more about Viktor Frankl by looking down in the show notes and following up on the items there, if you'd like. I I do try to take the notes and put them in the website and make those links and references available. So, Victor Frankl, I'll just read from The Pursuit of Happiness here a little bit, and then we'll get started into the episode. But uh, to go back, what I was uh, talking about a second ago was my search for meaning in my own life, right? And part of that is to produce content that can help, potentially help people that come across the content and, you know, have a better context on things or have a different outlook and hopefully the correct outlook and not something I'm not like tooting my own horn and like oh, I've got it correct all the time but we do try to pursue you know having accurate information and not just you know up here uh, you know going on and on rambling about our products or our services or something like that either but it's uh as we covered in like the bio war for example we need to uncover a lot of that information because the mainstream media is not going to do it. So we have to rely on alternative outlets, unfortunately. Or maybe that's fortunately. Maybe that's what we need to be doing. But that sort of work and what we're doing here with Freedoms Rising is the meaning and purpose that will help me continue on to produce the content, right? Otherwise, I may not find value in producing content and getting up and taking the time and preparing to do a show it does take a lot of time and effort to go and do this sort of work and if you can make it meaningful for you and something that makes sense and so again why not work on freedoms rising and it doesn't mean that we're saying as we've been talking about in the last episodes that freedom is definitely rising and there's this mass consciousness shift and we're all going to be fine and we can you know sit back and enjoy the ride and it's going to be great that's not what we see happening and we're covering that by going through the falling into the movement traps and the struggle for freedom slides as we'll continue on to do that today but also an apophatic inquiry or as we've discussed the process of negation and talking about what it's not you know what is this thing not how do we take away the things that this That can't be true remove the contradictions using some sort of a method in 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 some cases like the trivium method and a process of discovering truth process of logic and reason and removing the contradictions again through apophatic inquiry or through a process of negation and also then you know discovering what we should be doing And what we should stop doing through that process as well, in order to promote freedom and stand for freedom in our lives. And so, we'll be talking about that at the end of the episode here. What people you know haven't done in the past and lost their freedoms. And even though if you can see something happening or and you know see something, say something. No, no, that's how we lose our freedom. But the the idea of getting into action getting into action and actually doing something you know and the question that that will close this episode out is what are what are you doing you know what is it that you're doing and i'm not trying to oh you know come down with the hammer and you're not doing enough you're not getting involved maybe that maybe that's what we should be doing up here you know maybe that's what people need to hear but the question of Can we do something and are we doing something about it? Are we doing something about the loss of our freedoms or are we just going to let it happen? Are we just going to let uh, freedom die and think that we're free? And that's what the, the book that we'll be exiting this episode with is a book titled They Thought They Were Free and I'll be allowing a pinch hitter that we'll discuss to bring in and do that reading. Some of you might already know what I'm talking about. And But we won't spoil it here, and we'll move forward. Today, one one of the things that we're going to do, let me just turn that off. There's no reason for that phone alarm to be that loud. Hopefully the fan in the background in the studio here isn't getting into the mic too much either. I had, it's been warm lately. makes it harder to sit down and record and go over my thoughts and do that when you're in a stifling room with all these computers and equipment too. So hopefully that's not coming through too badly there. But we're going to continue on now with the struggle for freedom. Again, you can find this show posted at freedomsrising.live as well as tylerbloyer.com and all the various media outlets. We're on a lot of places that you can be found. It shouldn't be an issue of finding a player that can follow the show and listen along with the episodes as as they come out. And uh, we appreciate, you know, Help and grow the show if you can you know share this out to help get people back into the swing it you know once you do take a time off, I had more listeners, it seems like or maybe it was more interesting content doing the bio sci war I don't know, but we're gonna like I said, we'll be getting back into that information, and they will be put down here in the feed, not through the Freedoms Rising series, but we'll get back to producing more bio sci war. There's a lot that needs to be discussed. And obviously, these short, you know, episodes that we've been putting out aren't enough to cover it all. But that's, again, why with the frequency, it helps to keep up with things if we can get back into the saddle of this production machinery. And thank you for participating in Freedoms Rising up to this point. So the slide that we're going to start with today is from Charles Bukowski, and it's a quote. Most of these slides are quotes, and they can be found with the downloads or with the post on the website, you can actually find a link, and I'll zip up the slides to save on the bandwidth. I don't want to embed all the slides in each episode, because then as people go to navigate there, there's just more bandwidth used, and if they want the slides, they'll be in a zip folder for each episode. And as well as going back to the struggle for freedom presentation, you can also find the slides there and have them all at once. That's also on the site, the struggle for freedom. If you're looking for the slides and don't want to go to each of these freedoms rising episodes where they're at, the slides are chunked into that post on what section of the posts of the slides that we covered. And this person was an american poet a novelist and a short story writer he says i see men assassinated around me every day i walk through rooms of the dead streets of the dead cities of the dead men without eyes men without voices men with manufactured feelings and standard reactions men with newspaper brains television souls and high school ideas And that's a pretty harsh assessment there, and I put it there in the presentation, you know, going along with what we're discovering here, the the struggle for freedom, and are we, you know, I think that's an honest and rough assessment of, you know, seeing this sort of darkness that we have on our planet, and people that really don't, you know, have their own thoughts, that they don't really... You know have a soul like he said they they're and then they have high school ideas and manufactured feelings and standard reactions this is this is the mainstream this is the the masses right this is what we see We don't see people that are able to critically think about things we see people that believe uh what they're told as long as it's coming from the authorities right, and they're willing to obey the authority figures as long as they can avoid, you know, falling out of the mainstream and going along with the main narrative and these people are that's really like a soulless golem, right? And the the walking dead is an is a great allegory of <laughs> the zombie herd. The the walking dead is the is the asleep people, the people that are unwilling it's not just that they're unwilling to investigate things. I, I think I simplify it just to sort of, you know, continue with my talk track here on freedom and the loss of freedom. But it's not just that, it be, oh, you're the person's just unwilling, you know, to, go, to look into that thing. No, it's a, it's, has, it's a lot more complex than that. Our society has molded and developed people, and not just through our own will, but then you have the outside forces. You have the Rockefeller, Carnegie... Bill and Melinda Gates' endowments, right? The, um, you have these NGOs as, as we, we discussed there, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Carnegies, the Rockefellers. They have heavily influenced public education and not just them and those organizations. And like I said, it's not just that people are unwilling to look into information. I think in some cases they would be willing, but we've been molded and taught and created into this sort of uh, unthinking, un you know, authority believing, uh, lazy, apathetic species. Who you know, it's all it's all very compartmentalized as well, and it's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of nuance and subtleties to it. But so we're not just ripping on people are shitty, and that's how it is. But those are results of the way that our society operates and the way that we raise our children, the way that we're brought up to believe certain things. And the worldview uh, is more of what we're talking about here. And a worldview is what we're up against. Not just, like I said, Oh, people are unwilling to look at the information and that's definitely true, but it's also what we've been discussing in the last few episodes is that you have a worldview paradigm that you're up against as well with people. And, they may not even understand that they're the lack of freedom, or that freedom is being destroyed, and they like you know, oh, well, our rights and my Constitution, my Constitution isn't being looked after. You know, the Constitution doesn't apply to to you, and unfortunately, you know, we've been under martial law, or also, you know, you're not the the people in the We the People. That's talking about you know, the sophisticated. Uh, society, the the Congress, you know those people. They're the ones that are protected, right? Um, but we don't want to. We don't want to get into that. But you know, to think again, that's a fallacy, anyways. That, that the Constitution itself needs to be there for us to have our rights. And you know, the Declaration of Independence really wasn't alluding to some big form of federal government that would arise, and you know that we need to have these central authorities and central governments ruling over all the United States. That's that's not what the essence of the Declaration of Independence was. Anyhow, so the next slide is also in the same vein, and it's uh, something that I, I sort of got from Michael Tesserion's realm of slides and information that he's put out there. It's not really attributed to anyone. It's more of a meme, and it shows a person you know, in a, in a prison cell, essentially, and they're holding their head, and it says... I'm afraid of what other people might say, do, and think, and that's the enslaved, so again, it's not just oh they're they're unwilling to look into it or I gave them the facts, and they just don't believe me. they have their their own facts you know that's that's not what we're up against. We're up against this thing too, the group think and wanting to fit in with the norm, wanting to be a part of the crowd and not stick out not. Not not get too outside of the box of what's socially acceptable, you know. And and what what if I get up on the podcast and say something stupid? What what if people think I sound funny? You know that that would be things that could limit me from doing this. And I could take I could take all oh I say things funny sometimes, or I I I messed up my speech and I didn't go back and re record it because I'm not going to go and take the podcast and turn it into some five hour editing job afterward. You know, and it, it'll be more just raw me Tyler, and then people could. Hear that, and hear hear me early in the morning here, getting my wheel spinning, getting spun up a little bit. Uh, you know, getting some coffee down, not quite fully awakened. And then, oh, what are those people gonna hear? What if they don't like it? What if they think I'm dumb? What if what if I say something wrong? What if I don't know everything? What if I don't have the right historical fact down at the right time and screw it up, or I say something wrong, and and then I have to come back later and correct it? I I can allow all this stuff to get in my way, for example, and then say, well, I'll just wait or I won't I'm not going to do that. I'll figure out another thing to do. And if it if it really isn't effective in a way that it will we'll never get there and this is not going to achieve any of the the goals that I've set out to achieve here, which is really more about doing something and getting involved and being on the battlefield, right? And getting and not being afraid by putting it out under my own name i mean i'm not in like some telegram group with some weird handle like you know tb73491 or like you know jimmy jones or something some weird name that's not my name and i put the work out under my own name tylerbloyer.com, you know and if you go to a real search engine algorithm like duck duck go or something and search for me you know you'll get different results than on google and i think <laughs> that's part of the algorithms really just not wanting you to look at information like what we put out in the bio sci war and i'm not like oh i'm so paranoid and they're censoring me it's just that's how their algorithms work as a, in a sweeping manner no one's like targeting me individually if you go to google and search you're going to find that there's this other Tyler Bloyer who was involved in sports and you know, like six years ago or seven years ago, and that's the top thing, right? But if you go to DuckDuckGo and search, you'll get different results and just, you know, but anyway, if I was worried and concerned about even stuff like that, I could be like the person in this slide. I'm afraid where the person says, I'm afraid of what other people might say, do and think. And then that's the enslaved, right? That's the meme here is that enjoy your chains then, right? If we just sit back and we continue to do nothing and we're we afraid of what other people might think if we share this thing or if we talk about this or if we look into this thing and we start to question, you know, I'm telling you it's more of a feather bed. Like once you get through, that's all sort of negative self-talk, right? That's a scarcity mindset and negative self-talk and a lack of self-esteem or, you know, uh, what's the right, ah, dang it. It's like, uh, depend, you're, you're dependent on other people to be, to have self-esteem. And so as soon as you worry about too much, what they think, uh, you're, you, you're gonna, you know, think about that more than, and get caught up in those things and allow your mind, your mind will then, you know, creep in with all this different stuff, right. To, to stop you from moving forward. And it's gonna be a massive barrier to get through. And I know these things because I've had to deal with a lot of this stuff and I've had to go through a lot of that. And so I can definitely relate to what this slide is saying. And then but you know, we need to have courage and we need to work through that fear. And we need to use our voices in a very large way to stand up against some of the agendas that are going on right now and not be afraid to to do that, not be afraid to take our children away from the public education systems and change our lives around to to be able to facilitate, you know, raising the children ourselves. I think if we can create a situation for that, I don't think everybody should do that because some people, maybe they have some really serious issues that they need to work on. And maybe it's better that they aren't around the children as much. I know that sounds horrible, but like not everyone can homeschool and I get that. But if we can create the situation in our lives, you know, to be able to, make sure our children get good education, but they're also not poisoned and indoctrinated and, you know, forced to take this vaccine or that, you know, that you have to, you know, keep going into the matrix essentially further. And at least we can help them keep one step out or however we're going to try to work around this stuff. And a big part of that is to get involved and use our voices, right? So, but as Voltaire was known for saying, in my next slide here it's difficult to free fools from chains they revere so if people want and love and they love my politics they love my mainstream narratives they they love my technocracy I love my cybernetic, technocratic diplomatic hydroponic no I'm just kidding it's hydrostatic. What is that? Grease lightning. No, it's it's difficult to free fools from chains they revere, right? You, Again, what we've been talking about here. If people in, er, enjoy that, that's actually what they want. That's what they're looking for, is an escape from freedom. To go back to last episode, do people really want freedom? Or is freedom too big of a burden to bear? And so people may, you know, wave their flag around on the 4th of July weekend and and then go back to their regular lives where we're just slowly and steadily being further and further taken down into this path of enslavement. And, you know, that's again, people, you're not going to, it's difficult, right? Because you're not going to convince that person with facts. You're not going to convince them with the evidence. You're not going to be able to explain to them how the idea of even america has been completely lost and we're now into this globalist so you know agenda that we're we're moving into rapidly and we've been trained is is the way to go at least in my generation right the the world is at at risk and we need the united nations to come and help us solve the global warming problems like these are these are trojan horses these are tools to get in to our heads to get into our our i say our systems of government and you know definitely don't i definitely don't categorize myself who's under the american government and someone i mean i'm more of like a, a dissident right although i haven't found my way out of all the chains and all the matrixes and completely freed myself 100% out of the matrixes and don't, you know, don't get me wrong. And I'm, I'm not perfect and I'm not, you know, seeking to go file a bunch of paperwork and take away my citizen. I think again, our approach needs to be maybe that maybe doing things like that. But my approach here is to put the information out and spend the time to do that and take it seriously And try to get more minds freed before we just all start, you know, sticking our necks out there or putting myself in a situation economically where we can't take the time to do this work because I'm too stressed or too uh, caught up in other things in life to be able to put the work out. But, uh, you know, I think understanding is, is a big part of it and there's a lot of that that can be done and a lot of that that still needs to be done. And, uh, we can each find our way to move forward, but, um, let's see, just trying to find the right next slide here. I had one that I was going to use, but I think I'll skip that. Let's go back to Arno Gruen. We talked about Arno Gruen in the insanity of normality. And we read the back cover of that book last episode, He says here, if people base their identity on identifying with authority, freedom causes anxiety. They must then conceal the victim in themselves by resorting to violence against others. Violence against others? If people base their identity on identifying with authority, freedom causes anxiety. Right? This is a a very deep take on what we're talking about is you know, this this master slave dynamic and also if you look at something like the Milgram experiment, right, or uh the Stanford Prison Experiment. I know those are bantied around and oh the Milgram experiment and if you know the Rothschilds and the Federal Reserve Bank and the Rockefellers and the Milgram Experiment and a creature from Jekyll Island. No like right, but so the Milgram experiment often gets tossed around, but some people still They are new to the information. They don't know what the Milgram experiment is. We're not going to go in depth here, but what it basically showed uh, in the Milgram experiments was that people would obey authority uh, as long as authority figure were telling them what to do. In this case, it was a man in a white lab coat who was like a scientific authority. He wasn't even like, uh, you know, like a lawful authority or whatever it wasn't like a a sheriff or or someone high up in government telling this person what to do it was just a scientist and probably was more just an actor because in this case the experiment was the people would come in they didn't know they were in an experiment they they, they were doing well i mean in the an experiment of that type they thought they were doing a, a study with someone who had to answer questions and they would get shocked if they got the question wrong and they had to push the button, and it was actually harming the person that was being shocked behind, you know, in the other room, and it was just a recording. They weren't really shocking this person, but the people would keep going as long as the scientist standing there with, you know, his clipboard would say that the experiment must continue, the experiment must move on, we must move forward with the experiment, even if the the recording when they would shock the person the person was like oh i don't want to do this anymore i want to stop and it was some high percentage like above 70% of people or 80% would continue on harming the person on the other side even to the point where it wasn't clear if the person was okay and they might have had some like major medical issue and they would continue so the the person on the other side could could have been dead And as long as the experimenter would say, go ahead and please continue, they would continue to do that. And that's what Arno, I think, in the context of his book and his works, and also what he's saying there is that, you know, the authority will be identified with and then... Even, you know, in the case of democracy, you have the the masses sort of getting their way against the people that lost the vote, right, or that however the representative process worked and a law gets passed and now we enforce our will on others. Or something like, you know, going and invading Iraq with all the, you know, as as long as we were being told what the solution was to these weapons of mass destruction or in the first invasion with the babies in the incubators— Right, in Desert Storm, or the weapons of mass destruction, the anthrax, you know, and all the propaganda around the time they got us to invade Iraq, and that was kinda linked into nine eleven somehow, and it was like the terrorists in the Middle East and the Osama bin Laden, the CIA asset and um we will You know, as long as uh, the the big daddy's going to take care of this terrorist problem for us, then let's go ahead and do that. That that's one obvious form. But then there there's also just the, you know, the self mutilation, right? The the self hatred, and then also wanting that in a way for others. Like I'm being a good little Karen and wearing my mask, and now I'm going to make other people do it. We saw a lot of that, right, during the COVID, and even still that. the the vaccines and you know people feeling so proud that they're implementing the solution and following along with what the authority figures are telling them to do that now they're just more willing than ever to come and enforce that on you too right and they're they love it they love to be able to chase you down the hallway in the in the gas station right or the grocery store and make sure that you have your mask on and they'll do this with the vaccines too, right? In the workplace or other places, like they've gone and followed it. They're they're following all the rules and getting their vaccines and getting their getting their gene therapies, right? That's what it really is, getting their Moderna their mod RNA on, and ex- experiments uh, experimental vaccines or gene therapies that they don't even understand what they are, or what they do, or why we need a gene therapy or how all these variants are. Uh, involved in the original vaccine that we're going to give the children now and how does that affect the delta right and people think that this is like some kind of traditional vaccination that they have they have no clue they're just going to force that on them themselves obey the authority figures do what they're told and then also you know turn around and happily participate in the programs and systems to continue rolling that out on to other people as well right, and, and be so proud of it, and, you know, so, like, online, and, the, oh, I got my vaccine, and aren't you gonna good, you good get your vaccine, or, you know, like, uh, again, this childish way of looking at people who question things as anti-vaxxers, and just anti-scientific, and they don't, they don't just believe, well, you just believe the authorities, like, if you actually go look at the data, and look at the studies, it doesn't stop or prevent infection, and, The risk of it is, is, you know, unknown in some cases because we don't have the data. And in other cases where we do have the data, it can be quite risky and cause a lot of problems with people. And then we want to start giving them to children, right? And trust that we have the information and we can move forward as long as the authority figures tell us that it's okay. Right? So that's what we're talking about there um moving forward with the next slide let's see if i can get through some of this it looks like looks like we might be able to make it through the slide so i'm going to try to get through this it says in the next slide i have a couple that are like slides of you know the the masses and their 911 truth movements and their we are the 99% occupy movements and e- even in those movements we saw people really not understanding the problem fully and, um, you know, they could easily be manipulated when we see people in these large groups and movements. Again, there, there can be highly problematic, but it's Pythagoras, a quote attributed to Pythagoras here says no one is free who has not obtained the empire of himself. No man is free who cannot command himself. So again, going back to self mastery, uh, self governance, right? A form of like internal monarchy and external anarchy without rulers externally, talking in a, you know, socio political or even just in like human control fashion. Someone who obtained the empire of himself is a self governing, self you know, motivated self, can care for themselves and also doesn't need the external rulership, doesn't need anything from you either, doesn't need anything from others and also has no slaves below, right? So, good, uh, good on you there, Pythagoras. But mistaking insolence for freedom has always been the hallmark of a slave. And that's from Wilhelm Reich. So again just being a rebel a rebel without a cause or just you know being someone who's who's just you know freaking out or been shaken up instead of actually really waking up and they can cause a lot of destruction you know in their own lives sort of tearing down all the curtains and f- rebelling against authority but that just identifying with authority in that way and sort of another false dialectic and then being wrapped up in only the rebellion against it can be the hallmark of a slave and you know mistaking insolence for freedom has always been the hallmark of a slave Um, more of a reichian way of looking at things right and a deeper take than just like anarchy and it's just the authorities and we just and it's not not that I'm not picking on anarchy as being incorrect. I think that people just identify with that term when they start to understand more of the real actual meaning of the term, but still sort of just get caught up in that being the, their identity, right? The, now, I'm against the state, and I'm against the statists, and you see like a lot of name calling of statists and being, you know, attacking these people and the, the sheeple, and we've been doing a lot of that here but not like on we're not like going on social media and trolling them and like calling them a statists and sheeple and stuff like that and the even the NPCs and calling people the NPCs right it's just sort of being rude and you know you're not actually now you're just you've identified yourself as this person who's against everything that has to do with the state which is you know maybe that maybe that is correct but that can't be your only identity like that's not you know then you just become the dialectical opposition to to the state which shouldn't exist in the first place and in the way in the forms and fashions that it does, especially in the modern day or even throughout time. I mean it's always been a corrupt institution because it's based on lies and and uh false beliefs that people carry out. So the last slide, it says, unslave yourself, or no, the second to last slide, unslave yourself because no one else can, right? You've got to be the one to put in the initiative. You've got to be the one to do the work. Other people can help you and point you and guide you, but in the end, like, y- you're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to be the one to do the mental work, the shadow work, uh, the, the Jungian thing, right? You're going to have to be the one to go through and work on that i don't know i don't want to use like the word like the dark or the shadow i mean even in some cases that's the connotation there is something like we're putting like it's a bad thing or something and that's not that's not the case at all that's the way through like the way out is through we have to go through heal the healing we have to go through that journey and you know break down the barriers and all the lies and all the all the deceit and go through that painful process and we're the only ones that can do that and we're the only ones that can really learn no one can learn for you they can teach they can help to teach but you have to be the one who's willing to learn and if we do that and we are able to fulfill more of that higher meaning like Viktor Frankl was saying we might find that the universe comes to our aid and that we have a journey and what can seem sort of like a destiny or a, an end game to what we're supposed to be doing here and that fulfillment in the end if you've been working on those things and it comes down to it it's not just you know about locking yourself in a room and never spending time with anyone i think when people get towards the end what we see documented a lot of people on their deathbed are, they wanted to be happier, and they wanted to spend more valuable time with the people that they love. And those can be very fulfilling potentials as well. But there's, there's more to life than that life is not just about, you know, you're just sitting in with people that you love all the time. There's a lot of aloneness, there's a lot of time spent, you know, doing work alone, where people aren't around you, and you're, you just have to put in that work. So making that work meaningful. And having a freedom too, as also Fromm was talking about in the chapter one of the book, and in the synopsis of that book really is covering negative freedom and positive freedom as well, and our freedom to do what, and our freedom to explore and be creative in what way. And the, the last quote here from Martin Heidegger says, anyone can achieve their fullest potential. Who we are might be predetermined but the path we follow is always of our own choosing. We should never allow our fears or the expectations of others to set the frontiers of our destiny. Your destiny, your destiny can't be changed, but it can be challenged. Every man is born as many men and dies as a single one. So it's pretty deep there. Pretty, we're going real deep now, but that, again, that there, is there a correct potential that you can fulfill? I mean, it's not going to be the same path. You're not going to have a path laid out for you that you just take. But I think that's what he's getting at here, is that there's a complete human that you can become, that you, a potential that you have to fulfill. But it doesn't mean that you're going to fulfill it. And there's a lot of potentials of who you could become, but the one that you do become, you know, if we allow our fears and the expectations of others to Set that track. Is that going to be your fullest potential, or is it going to be the real you? Is it going to be what you're satisfied with that gives you that higher purpose? You know, and and then what we've been talking about here in the in the fear and they're, sorry, the struggle for freedom is some aspects of the fear that holds people back and holds them back from taking the first steps even in the journey to awakening, and the journey to enlightenment, and to the journey to your betterment, and then you know you also it's still about chopping wood and carrying water too though like that path has a lot of just the mundane work and mundaneness to it but if there's a higher sense of purpose a higher goal that you're seeking towards a higher meaning in life that you can strive for, then that will help you through those times where it's just carrying water chopping wood carrying water chopping wood right just doing the chores just doing the things that need to be done even the the more mundane things in, in life that have to be done uh but uh, if we get stuck in our fears, in our negative self-talk, in our, you know, lo- low self-esteem in the way that we're worried to break away from what we've been taught, we're worried to go down that path, we're worried about what that might mean for us, it's, it's threatening our worldview, and we allow those fears to control us, then we will end up not taking the proper actions when the proper actions need to be taken. We will not be in motion enough to take those actions, we will not be... Uh, light enough in in the sense that we can move around freely to be able to make those decisions and go along with the new information that's coming out, so that when the COVID nineteen pandemic thing comes along or the next big 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 bad scary thing, we're able to take a step back and look at these things and review it from a more historical perspective, as you know, as far as how these things might hook in with, you know, the Anglo American establishment or how these things might hook to, hook in with. Uh, the NGO think tanks or the, you know, the one world order, the, you know, these other historical aspects that we've been definitely, uh, you know, it's been not really obviously laid out for us in ways that, that only alternative researchers and alternative content producers have been able to put out in ways that if we're too afraid to explore that we'll never, you know, know we're not going to know what we don't know. (laughs) And we, and we could we can live our lives being incorrect, right we can be wrong, and then we'll see what we're gonna close out here with you know what, talking about uh the rise of Hitler and the people in Germany that some 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 sense knew or some sense went along with or some sense were just overwhelmed and couldn't really do anything to stop it, and maybe they you know, had some excuses like Dave Emery will say to not know and not look into things and not be able to stop it. But do we have that same excuse now? Do we in in the modern day or even with those historical examples have the same excuse to give now to not do anything and, uh, you know, just believe what we're told? We're too busy. We're too caught up with all the things we have to do in life to get on. We, we're we not going to be able to, you know, take on all that other information and it's too overwhelming, too crazy. And They Thought They Were Free is the book that we'll be reading from here. And the synopsis is, uh that I'm going to read here from powells.com uh, talks about the synapses of the book. And it was first published in 1955. They Thought They Were Free is an eloquent and provocative examination of the development of fascism in Germany. Meyer S.'s book is a study of 10 Germans and their lives from 1933 to 45 based on interviews he conducted after the war when he lived in Germany. Meyer had a position as a research professor at the University of Frankfurt and lived in a nearby small Hessian town, which he distinguished with the name Krunenberg. These ten men were not men of distinction, Meyer noted, but they had been members of the Nazi party. Meyer wanted to discover what had made them Nazis. What happened here was the gradual habituation of the people, little by little, to being governed by surprise, to receiving decisions deliberated in secret in believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information which the people could not understand, or so dangerous that even if people could understand it, it could not be released because of national security. And their sense of identification with Hitler their trust in him made it easier to widen this gap and reassured those who would otherwise have warned about it. And that was from chapter 13, but then it was too late. Uh, That was like an excerpt here in the synopsis given on this website. And I think that actually overlaps with what we'll be hearing from Dave Emery, who reads the chapter in a much more seasoned and professional manner than even I need to practice on my readings out loud on uh, the podcast. And when we do it live and we pull out the book cam and we have the books that we reference here live in the studio, you know, it takes some practice to do that. So we're not going to do the reading today. We're going to allow Dave Emery to come in here as the pinch hitter. If you're not aware of Dave Emery, uh, I'll link to this presentation in archive.org. That's where a good place to find it, but also his website and that website we were just talking about with the synopsis of the book, but also Dave Emery Archives and you can find that on wfmu.org and there's recent you know, the Oswald Institute of Virology series on, on the Ukraine war meets the Oswald Institute of Virology I still have to catch up on that series, but there's just a tremendous, tremendous amount of work put out over the years by this individual uh, going way back. And you can find in the archives episodes going back to at least the year 2000. And I think that there's even ways to find Dave's work online going back even before that. So uh, make sure and support Dave Emery's work. Or start checking it out. Go uh, reference... The materials that he's put out there over the years are tremendous in the fight and the anti-fascist information that he's been able to provide and, you know, the dangers of fascism. And he's definitely got a darker look now at the world and how things are happening now. I mean, he's been saying out there publicly that he basically sees us in the end times, not like, oh, it's going to happen next month, but whether it happens now or in the next 20 years that we're in a slow decline and moving into a much more rapid decline of society into a sort of collapse and maybe even an extinction of the species as we sort of kind of blow ourselves up in this, um, you know, uh, new circus with all the confettis and and spinning wheels and flashing lights as well, though. So it's an, it's an exciting apocalypse, if that's correct. Uh, There's a lot of fun things and exciting things happening here in this apocalypse. It's definitely interesting times. Uh, But let's go go look back. Let's look back at what happened uh, with the rise of Hitler and let uh, the episode close out with that. And then we'll see you guys back here at Freedoms Rising and the TylerBloyer.com show. And in Freedom's Rising Studios, where we're freeing more minds with Freedoms Rising. And you can check out the 24-7 live stream playing there at freedomsrising.live. And we'll see you guys back here next time. Have a good one.
2: Because the subject material of One Step Beyond is fascism, and the focus of the program is fascism, international fascism, and the U.S. National Security Establishment, and because it is my considered opinion at this stage of the game that we are going down the very same road that Italy and Germany went down. In fact, that's been my considered opinion for about 25 years. Uh, I've been saying that on the air for 15 years plus. When I began saying this, unfortunately, an awful lot of people look at me like I had a penis growing out of my head. They did not want to hear about it. That was their reaction. I have a lot of people now that have hung in there over the years who say, you know, 10 years ago I listened to you And I thought you were nuts. Now I see what it is that you were talking about. Well, uh, it is to be hoped, I guess the, the saying better late than never applies in that context. It is to be hoped that enough people can get busy, enough people will become active, enough people will wake up to prevent a catastrophe. This is something that I read on the air periodically to allow people the opportunity to measure... The extent of the society's descent into fascism. This is something that is a description by the part, on the part of a college professor of what it was like to live during the rise of Hitler. What was it like subjectively, or what it was like subjectively, I should say, to live under the rise of Adolf Hitler. And I read this periodically so that people in the listening audience Can effectively gauge the extent to which their lives, their daily lives in the United States in the late 20th century have become subjectively like the lives of the people who lived under the rise of fascism in Germany because the same bloody goddamn thing is happening here in the United States right now. If people in uh, Weimar, Germany, and in the early part of the early years of the Hitler regime, had had a resource like this program, perhaps uh, the tragedies of Hitler's Germany might have been averted. But unfortunately, they did not. The book from which I'm about to read is entitled, They Thought They Were Free, subtitled, The Germans, 1933 through 45." This book was authored by Milton Mayer, last name M-A-Y-E-R. It's published in soft cover by the University of Chicago Press and copyrighted 1955. It is, as I said, a series of interviews with people who had lived during the rise of Hitler. Some of them were supportive of Hitler. Some of them were opposed to Hitler. Some of them were initially opposed to Hitler and then it became co-opted. And then in, in a chapter, uh, appropriately and ironically enough, chapter 13, uh, a title, a chapter entitled, But Then It Was Too Late, a college professor, who was opposed to Adolf Hitler from the beginning, but who eventually went along with the program, who eventually became comfortable, who eventually became assimilated into the growing Nazi culture and Nazi society, relates his experiences, his subjective experience, of what it was like to view the rise of Hitler. And I think that many members of the listening audience will recognize parts of themselves, parts of the society they live in, parts of the society that they're about to be living in as they listen to this chilling account. In this chapter, again chapter 13 entitled, But Then It Was Too Late, Milton Mayer interviews this college professor. And uh, the chapter begins, quote, what no one seemed to notice, said a colleague of mine, a philologist, again quoting, was the ever widening gap after 1933 between the government." and the people just think how very wide this gap was to begin with here in germany and it became always wider you know it doesn't make people close to their government to be told that this is a people's government a true democracy or to be enrolled in civilian defense or even to vote all this has little really nothing to do with knowing one is governing what happened here was the gradual habituation of the people little by little to being governed by surprise to receiving decisions deliberated in secret to believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information which the people could not understand or so dangerous that even if the people could understand it it could not be released because of national security let me pause for just a minute how many things have you heard explained by the U.S. government as uh, necessarily being kept secret because of, quote, national security, unquote. Well, the society being described here is not the America of Richard Nixon, or is it? It's not the America of Ronald Reagan and George Bush, or is it? This is Germany under Hitler, wasn't it? One more time. What happened here was the gradual habituation of the people, little by little, to being governed by surprise, to receiving decisions deliberated in secret, to believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information which the people could not understand, or so dangerous that even if the people could understand it, it could not be released because of national security. And their sense of identification with Hitler, their trust in him, made it easier to widen this gap and reassure those who would otherwise have worried about it. Interrupting again, think about Ronald Reagan, think about uh, Smiling Ronnie and all of the horrible, horrible things he did, but people bought it because Ronald Reagan basically came across as your good old Uncle Al, and he'd get up there and he'd hold that, he'd kind sort of cock his head to the side and say, "Well, oh, gee, I realize that this is illegal and unconstitutional, and a lot of people died, but what the heck, I can't really go into my description of it because of national security, and so on and so forth. Once again... And their sense of identification with reading once again from They Thought They Were Free and their sense of identification with Hitler, their trust in him, made it easier to widen this gap and reassure those who would otherwise have worried about it. This separation of government from people, this widening of the gap took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step disguised, perhaps not even intentionally, as a temporary emergency measure or associated with true patriotic allegiance, or with real social purposes. And all the crises and reforms, real reforms too, so occupied the people that they did not see the slow motion underneath of the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. You will understand me when I say that my middle high German was my life. By the way, he was obviously a uh, professor of German. Continuing... It was all I cared about. I was a scholar, a specialist. Then, suddenly, I was plunged into all the new activity as the university was drawn into the new situation. Meetings, conferences, interviews, ceremonies, and above all, papers to be filled out. Reports, bibliographies, lists, questionnaires. And on top of that were the demands of the community, the things in which one had to, was, quote, expected to, unquote, participate, that had not been there or had not been important before. It was all rigmarole, of course, but it consumed all one's energies, coming on top of the work one really wanted to do. You can see how easy it was, then, not to think about fundamental things. One had no time, unquote. Continuing. Those, I said, are the words of my friend the baker. One had no time to think. There was so much going on, unquote. Your friend the baker was right, said my colleague. The dictatorship and the whole process of it coming into being was above all diverting. It provided an excuse not to think for people who did not want to think anyway. I do not speak of your little men, your baker and so on. I speak of colleagues and myself. I speak of my colleagues and myself, learned men, mind you. Most of us did not want to think about fundamental things, and never had. There was no need to. Nazism gave us some dreadful, fundamental things to think about. We were decent people, and kept us so busy with continuous changes and crises, and so fascinated, yes, fascinated, by the machinations of the, quote, national enemies, unquote, without and within, that we had no time to think about these dreadful things that were growing. Little by little, all around us, unconsciously, I suppose, we were grateful. Who wants to think? Interrupting again. Uh, just think about how many people you know who don't really want to think, and so they really don't think. They just go ahead and participate in the things that everyone is quote expected unquote to do. Continuing to live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it please try to believe me unless one has a much greater degree of political awareness acuity than most of us had ever had occasion to develop each step was so small so inconsequential so well explained or on occasion quote regretted unquote that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle What all these, quote, little measures, unquote, that no, quote, patriotic German, unquote, could resent must someday lead to, one no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. One day, it is over his head. How is this to be avoided among ordinary men, even highly educated ordinary men? Frankly, I do not know. I do not see even now. Many, many times since it all happened, I have pondered that pair of great maxims, Principus Obstain, Finum Respice, resist the beginnings and consider the end. But one must foresee the end in order to resist or even see the beginnings. One must foresee the end clearly. And certainly, how is this to be done by ordinary men or even by extraordinary men? Things might have changed here before they went as far as they did, They didn't, but they might have, and everyone counts on that might. Continuing with, they thought they were free. Your little men, your Nazi friends, were not against National Socialism in principle. Men like me who were are the greater offenders, not because we knew better, that would be too much to say, but because we sensed better. Pastor Niemöller spoke for the thousands and thousands of men like me when he spoke too modestly of himself and said that when the Nazis attacked the communists, he was a little uneasy, but after all, he was not a communist, and so he did nothing. And then they attacked the socialists, and he was a little uneasier, but still he was not a socialist, and he did nothing. And then the schools, the press, the Jews, and so on, and he was always uneasier, but still he did nothing and then they attacked the church, and he was a churchman, and he did something, but then it was too late, Unquote. Yes, I said. You see, my colleague went on, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last, but only a little worse. You wait for the next... And the next. You wait for one great shocking occasion thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join with you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even talk alone. You don't want to, quote, go out of your way to make trouble, unquote. Why not? Well, you are not in the habit of doing it. And it is not just fear, fear of standing alone that restrains you. It is also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone, quote-unquote, is happy. One hears no protest and certainly sees none. You know, in France or Italy, there would be slogans against the government painted on walls and fences. In Germany, outside the great cities, perhaps there is not even this. In the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues some of whom certainly feel as you do. But what do they say? They say, it's not so bad, or you're seeing things, or you're an alarmist, unquote. Or, as one hears in my field, you're paranoid, or you're a conspiracy theorist, quote, unquote. Last couple of sentences again. In the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly feel as you do. But what do they say they say it's not so bad or you're seeing things or you're an alarmist and you are an alarmist you are saying that this must lead to this and you can't prove it these are the beginnings yes but how do you know for sure when you don't know the end and how do you know or even surmise the end interrupting we now have the lesson of history and so as we hear these words describing the German experience of 1933 through 45, we are in a position now to know the end. We do not have the excuse that this professor had. Continuing, on the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party intimidate you. On the other, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. Again, interrupting, you're paranoid or you're a conspiracy theorist or I don't believe in conspiracy theories. How do you know for sure when you don't know the end, hmm? Continuing. On the other, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. You are left with your close friends who are naturally people who have always thought as you have. But your friends are fewer now. Some have drifted off somewhere or submerged themselves in their work. You no longer see as many as you did at meetings or gatherings. Step B. Why should you at step C and so on? to step D, continuing. And one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible of them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy, and some minor incident, in my case, my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying, "juice wine collapses it all at once, and you see that everything, everything has changed and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people, is not the world you were born in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring. The houses, the jobs, the shops, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, is changed. Now you live in a world of hate and fear, and the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. Now you live in a system which rules without responsibility even to God. The system itself could not have intended this in the beginning, but in order to sustain itself, it was compelled to go all the way. You have gone almost all the way yourself. Life is a continuing process, a flow, not a succession of acts and events at all. It has flowed to a new level, carrying you with it without any effort on your part. On this new level you live, you have been living more comfortably every day with new morals, new principles. You have accepted things you would not have accepted five years ago, a year ago. Things that your father, even in Germany, could not have imagined. Suddenly it all comes down all at once. You see what you are, what you have done, or, more accurately, what you haven't done. For that was all that was required of most of us, that we do nothing." Unquote. Well, uh, that's sense applies to every member of the listening audience. Are you going to do something or are you not going to do something? To be or not to be, as uh, Hamlet said in uh, the play by the same name.